0: You've reached Hoop and Holler, a square one podcast on basketball and other shenanigans.
1: Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo Whoa. of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by you know, ESPN anytime soon
0: because <laughs> you don't have that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I
1: told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore Uh, Kalu2 on Twitter. (laughs) Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the... (laughs) It's at underscore underscore Kalu. He knows your Twitter. That means I'm tweeting
2: it too much.
1: (laughs) But when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the basketball. Welcome to this special edition of Hoop and Holler and On the Clock... We are crossing over here. If you guys don't know, on the clock is the draft, NFL draft podcast that Cam and I were doing last season. Um, kind of examining the guys in, in the draft pool, looking at combine numbers, whatnot, projecting guys. And now we're taking it to basketball. Cam's actual that that's your strong suit, man. I put I threw you on the spot for football, but basketball is really where you do this at, right?
2: Um, before this year, yeah. Um with COVID and everything, it's just been all over the place. I kinda Lost my touch with it, but um, most of the time, yeah, it's kind of what I'm
1: known for, I guess. <laughs> kind of. You're being modest, man. He's the guy. <laughs> He's the guy. Um, and we're also joined by Eddie Sun here, our resident basketball genius. You know, we always got to include him. Um, and We're just going to talk about some of the prospects that we see in the upcoming draft. But before we get into that, I want to kind of open with a broad question just in terms of how we're evaluating players in the upcoming draft. What approach do you guys use? I I know for those of you guys who might listen to prep to pro podcast with PD Webb and those guys, they're talking about a heuristic and just a a way of examining prospects, a way of evaluating guys. Tell me about your evaluation process and what it looks like for you personally. I'll start with you, Eddie. How, How does it look for you?
0: So I think about, obviously some people look at floor, some people look at ceiling, you know, some people look for the midpoint. Um, But I think when I look at prospects, especially this year, where there's not a lot of consensus on anyone really, I look for tangible upside. And what I mean by tangible upside is I'm still looking for players' ceilings because ultimately I think that looking at a player's floor doesn't really do you any good. Like you're aiming for star potential. You're aiming for, you know, what's the best that a player can give me. But you can't take shots in the dark. Right. So there has to be some upside there that's based in some foundation that we've seen in high school or in AAU or in college. And so for me, like a lot of times this upside is not like athletic upside. I'm not big into, you know, taking athleticism and and projecting it to the NBA level. I'm looking at, you know, what have you done basketball skill wise in the lower levels? You know, can you read the game and can you read the game with quickness? You know, like, do you have like an advanced feel for the game, an advanced handle? And then same thing with defensively, like, do you move your feet fast? Like, do you re- read and recognize situations really fast? So I think a lot of it hinges on the core ideas of, like, basketball IQ. Like, that's the stuff I think is the most projectable. Um, and same thing with just, like, a general feel for the game is really what I'm, what I'm looking for. Hmm.
1: What about you, Cam?
2: Um, Eddie on a lot of great points. Um, I'll start by saying I kind of try to look at the draft differently every year just depending on how the playoffs um turns out. Um I think this year even, um I don't know about you guys, but I feel like every year as I watch the playoffs and as I get older, I learn something else about the game. But the game continues to change and something may be in style this year, not in style next year. So I always try to see what's the new wave going on in the NBA. But as Eddie said I also look for like traits. Especially in a draft like this where Eddie said, you know, the ceilings aren't that high when you're looking for stars. I look for traits that are transferable. So elite skill like we know Duncan Robinson every time he steps on the court he's going to be elite shooter whether that's off the catch a little bit off the dribble that's a transferable skill especially in the playoff setting to where I can say I have the confidence to put this guy on the court and I know that he won't get schemed out um, so that's just kind of how I look at it if this guy you know if his traits can transfer to the NBA and another one like Eddie said is high IQ can they read the game make quick decisions break down the game um, yeah that's really how I look at it
1: got you uh, to throw my hat in the ring, I kind of have a two pronged approach in which my first evaluation looks like, do you have the functional basketball foundation to survive on an NBA court? And what that means is, right, like it, we we can have guys who, you know, hell, maybe you can shoot 50 percent from the three point line. But if your handle looks like Reagan Griffin's, you're not going to be able to last. I don't care how good of a shoot, uh, a shot maker you are. Right. So you have to at least have exactly. a ground level. Uh, of ball handling, passing ability, IQ, understanding of basketball, dribbling, all that stuff. You have to be able to do that at a fundamental level. Even you watch, like, a guy like. Uh Mitchell Robinson, a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein, Julius Randle, they go run in those pickup games, they're doing all this ball handling stuff that you'll never see them do on an NBA court, right? But it's the functional understanding and the base level of basketball competency that you have to have. And then, once I understand that and I've narrowed my pull into who has that level of understanding of basketball... Now, what's your separating skill? Um, you look at a guy like Duncan Robinson. You go look at his college highlights, right? Like The dude was not just shooting the ball. That was his best skill. That was a separating skill, but he was driving. He was putting the ball on the ground. He was actually making decisions, passing the ball off. Same with a guy like Lou Dort. That's the, you guys know how much I ride for Lou Dort. You go look at his ASU highlights, the dude's ball handling, step back threes, stuff that he wouldn't dream of doing on an NBA court, but basic basketball competency and now what is it that you can provide at an elite level to my basketball team but the bare minimum you have to at least be functional in all aspects of the game so yeah
2: and i agree just to, um say one last thing i know this will probably hit home for eddie but another thing that i always try to think about when i'm evaluating players is i forgot what sports conference it was at but my Bob myers I'd say there's a difference, you know, between 82 game players and 16 game players. Mm. So you mentioned some players, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, who in the 82 game season may average 19 to 20 points and be able to get away with a lot of things in the regular season. But come playoff time, those things are not transferable. It's a whole different game. So definitely, like you said, versatility is key, being able to do multiple things on the court. Um that's basically what the NBA is today.
0: Mm. And I also like kind of want to bring up Cam and Reagan. You both talked about Um, like Reagan, you're talking about having a baseline foundation for like, you know, all basketball skills. And then Kim, you're talking about, you know, what's that one go-to that a that a prospect has. Um, and I think that sometimes teams do fall in love a lot with finding a player that's a jack of all trades, but he's also a master of none. Mm, And I've kind of seen the Warriors do that, you know, in the past few drafts when you know they're looking for guys to fill out the roster. They're like, okay, there's no clear weakness in his game. But then, you know, flip it around, then you have to ask, well, what is he actually good at, right? Like, what's his strength? Because because exactly, if there's not something that a prospect or a player is really good at, then, you know, what do we know that he brings on a court, right? Like, what can you do with the player that you can reliably get, you know, possession after possession where you know that he's going to be solid? And that's where I think, in general, teams would be smarter to look for players with, you know, a clear strong suit. You know, allow that strength to play. You know, in an NBA game, and then you can use the other fourteen roster spots to make up for the weakness. But you have to be able to diagnose, like, what is a, a prospect' strong suits, and not just aim for, you know, someone who who doesn't have any weakness at all.
1: And the beautiful thing I think is that could be anything, right? In the case of Duncan Robinson, it was shooting. In the case of Lou it was defense. In the case uh, of you know, there's so many guys with so many different skill sets. So long as you have that ground foundation, now you just have to be the master of one thing, and you can last on an NBA court. But like you said, Eddie, sometimes you end up like a um, a Denzel Valentine might come to mind, right, as a guy who Jacob, was good Jacob at a lot Evans of things. Jacob Evans was the was the, Evans. Guy, the
0: Warriors guy.
1: Right. So, Even I felt like
2: Jacob Evans. So.
1: <laughs> right, so show me one thing that you can do that's going to separate you from everyone else in the NBA. As long as you have that one thing in a foundation level, I think we all agree that you... You can last on an NBA court, and you can carve out a role for yourself in the NBA. So, with that said, let's go ahead and jump into some of the prospects. We're kind of just gonna uh, wing it here in terms of just throwing out prospects, guys that we like, guys that we might have concerns over, and we're gonna have some uh, some spirited discussion, hopefully, over some of the guys in the draft. I'll swing it. Hmm. Any, mini, money, camp, camp. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> who uh, who's uh, who you're thinking of right now?
2: Um. So. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, before I got to USC, um, I'm a Duke stan, So from his first day on campus, I yeah. Duke J- just basketball, just basketball. You
1: do just not basketball. strike me as a Duke person, man.
2: Brandon Ingram, Zion. Okay, um, the
1: players. Okay, yeah. I got you. I got you.
2: Yeah, what well, the whole program? Like I'm, I'm genuinely a Duke fan.
1: Like right? Grayson Allen. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> I know. I know
2: what he is. I know but
1: Hey man, he's man, in Memphis man. now. I I ride with him too. I'll rock with him too. Oh wow, I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about that.
2: But Trey Jones, man, um, I believe ACC player of the year and defensive player of the year. Um, six three, six four wingspan. Um so he's a good defender, but um the length really isn't there. I think he can guard ones in the league, maybe a couple smaller twos. Um his biggest issue, the reason why he returned to college was Um, He didn't have a consistent jump shot. I believe he shot 26% from three last year Mm. on, like, two attempts. But he went back this year, um, was more of a ball handler there. You know, Zion, RJ Barrett, Campbell, all gone. Um, Pushed his three-point total up to, like, 3.7, so really four attempts a game, 36%. Um, I don't really think he's a shot creator, but I think he's a starting point guard that can – like I said, defend 1s and 2s and make solid reads on the offensive and the score. Um, I'm not really good with player comps, but one player that comes to mind with Trey Jones, and this is probably the only time you'll get a comp from me, is Monty Morris, that plays for mm. the Nuggets. Interesting. You reminds me of Monty Morris. I also think Monty Morris is the starting point guard in the Um I think they have a similar game. Um, Trey really just needs to work on his in-between game. He doesn't really have anything in the mid-range. His flow is kind of up and down. But if he's able to do that, that'll make up for like a finishing. I think he'll be a star in this league. Um, maybe with
1: the Miami Heat as well. I'm with you 100. I me, mean, y'all, I made a whole ass video on Trey Jones. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I I'm, I'm a fan. Um, he's a guy that just strikes me as somebody who contributes to winning basketball. You know, he, he doesn't really have any of the separators athletically. Um, although yeah. I do think he's somewhat of an underrated athlete because you look at him, he doesn't really seem like the explosive type, but um he's really good laterally he can get up off the ground when he needs to he could uh he could serve to get a little bit more vertical on his finishing ability and I think finishing is something that he could stand to get better at um in general but I think Monte Morris is a great comp for him because that's how I have him projected as a fringe starter if not a starter a damn good backup in the league so um like I said winning basketball Trey Jones will give you if nothing else winning basketball
0: I thought, I thought you comped into uh, Alfred Payton in your video.
1: I did have Alfred Payton um, with a better jump shot, hopefully, um, because Alfred's frankly, is not there. Um, but they're both guys who can create for themselves and others in um, in the half court and in transition. I think uh, an underrated aspect of Trey Jones' game is his ability, especially when we saw it with Zion and Cam Reddish and RJ yeah. Barrett that first year. He can push the ball in transition very well. And then last year, even having Vernon Carey, he was really good at those long court outlet passes, having Cashes Stanley helped him out a lot. I mean, he's had players around him where it's really shown his ability to move the ball around the court and put other guys in positions to where they're going to be able to be successful. So, you know, combine that with the fact, you know, that I say he gives you winning basketball, he also puts his team in positions to, to play winning basketball. So that's that's invaluable for me. So definitely a guy where, you know, his floor is pretty high. I'm not quite sure how high his ceiling's going to be, but, you know, a, a steady place and, and a pretty much a sure thing in my mind. That holds some value. Yeah,
0: Actually, I, I, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I don't know if I'm as high as you guys are on Trey Jones, if only because there's a lot of good guards in this year's draft. And I think um, if this was like maybe a, a weaker guard year for, for the draftees, like maybe he'd be a little bit higher, you know, on my board. I know we're not going over our entire big boards just yet. But um, to me, I kind of see him as a guy who if – a team can figure out how to develop him and, and really maximize his potential, he's Derek White to me. And mm. Derek White is turning into a, a really good player out in San Antonio. And I can kind of see the upside with him. You know, you, you have a you have kind of like a defense first player with, you know, a fringe offensive capability, um, but then you start filling out the offensive capability and then you have yourself a, a really good two way guard. But um, that's kind of like the, the peak outcome with him, I think. There, there's a chance that when he comes into the league just because, you know, he can't really get his own shot, which is something you really want a guard to do, that he kind of gets lost maybe, you know, in a rotation. Or that, you know, the, the defense is not quite good enough to make up for, you know, not providing much on the offensive end. And, and that's the only kind of thing I wonder about for Trey Jones.
1: I mean, it's interesting, man, because I I think that's an underrated aspect of what we talk about uh, with these prospects and guys who ultimately flourish and guys who might flop is a lot of times your situation is going to play a pretty key role in that. Like, you look at his brother, very similar type of player, and the fact that he initially went to Minnesota and got minutes in that rotation helped him in in the long run of his career. Now he's still getting minutes out there in Memphis, so... I think it's it's very important that Trey Jones goes somewhere where he's going to be used um, in the rotation and not just lost, like you said. And should that be the case, he'll be able to fill out his game as it goes along, kind of learn by being thrown into the fire. Um, like a lot of these rookies are about to be with this shortened offseason. But uh, I definitely yeah. see the upside. All right, All right Eddie. You guys want to you, you, yeah. you play out here?
0: All right, so I'm going to throw at you Kyra Lewis Jr. and...
1: Man, y'all are taking mine. Y'all are stealing mine. You're stealing. You're stealing. I mean, (laughs) I'm... Okay, but I'm I'm
0: saying, like, the reason why I bring up is because I have him in my tier one of my draft board, and my tier one consists of four players. So basically, he's a top four player in this year's class for me. Okay. And frankly, I'm not really sure what people are missing about him because, you know, I look at his game and I see speed, you know, that that end-to-end speed is a killer you know, speed kills, but then it's like, he's not out of control either, which is, you know, what you're looking for when a guy plays, you know, at that pace, you know, like he always, he's not the most um, beautiful ball handler in the world, but it's a really functional handle that really plays up with the speed, I think. And then combine that with, you know, three level scoring. And it's like, okay, you got yourself a guard who plays at that speed who can control, you know, his handle control the game like that shoot at all three levels. And, you know, he, he has, some good passing chops as well, though. A lot of it will probably, again, be, you know, a product of his speed, drive and kick game, um, some pick and roll game, things like that. And then you look at, he's a sophomore, sure, but he's the same age as a lot of these freshmen coming out of the draft right now. So he's relatively young with two years college experience. And then this year, you know, his shooting percentages really went up to 45, 35, 80. And, you know, like that tells you again, like he can, he, he's a reliable scorer and, I mean, this is a pretty lazy comp, I would say, but just you know, do I it. have him as like a right-handed uh, deer
1: and fox. Literally, <laughs> like it, it, it's his tape screams yeah, deer and fox. It's, exactly. You know, it might it, it's not even lazy if it's just that right. Call a spade a spade. It's deer and fox. And uh, you look back at that draft, right? People will be the first ones to tell you, man. Deer and fox should have went top five in that draft. How did he not go top five in that draft? I, <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think Kira Lewis is a baller, man, and um. If he falls into like the the six to ten range, that's a crime in my mind. I, I think he's easily a top five pick or worthy of it. Really? Yeah. See, I think
0: from based on what I'm reading, it seems like he's gonna go gonna maybe fall. even past ten, like ten
2: yeah, to fifteen. Like 10, yeah.
1: Mm. That's interesting. I mean, the biggest weakness that you see there is like, uh, you know, even draft scouts will say, "Oh, his frame, he's a little light in the ass. He's 165 pounds. He struggles with physicality. He can't finish through contact." Like. That's fixable, right? If I, I get yeah. you in an NBA program, I can get you from 165 to 180 in two off seasons if you're willing to put in the work. And I think he's a guy, um, by all accounts, he's not like a, a somebody who's not willing to work hard. So I don't see any issue with the fact that, uh, if anything, it's encouraging that you're doing this at 165. I know I put some weight on you. You're going to be able to hang with the big dogs. So I, I'm, I'm with you, Eddie. I'm a big fan of Kira.
2: Yeah, same. I was just going to say um – I don't, first of all, I don't think the take um, on the comp is lazy. I mean, there's only a few guys that play up to that speed that he does. So there's only a few guys you can compare him to. And as far as the frame, like we said about Fox, the same things were said about him. So, I mean, that, like you said, Reagan, that's something that can be fixed. But yeah, Kira, I think he's also someone. I mean, the point guard um, class is pretty deep this year. I think he's also going to be a starter in this league for a long time.
1: Oh, yeah. All yeah. right. I feel like we have too much agreeing going on. So I'm going to throw out a somewhat of a <laughs> controversial name. How about James Wiseman, man? Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about him. I, 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 you know, and it's not, I know you guys might call me out for my Memphis bias, right? He's Memphis born and bred. He went to Memphis for about, what, three or four games before he got suspended for the rest of the year. But I have three words for not just y'all, but anyone when it comes to evaluating James Wiseman don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. He's 7 1. He has a like what was it, seven 75 wing wingspan. He gets up and down the floor. He's he's athletic. He's strong. He's skilled. He has great footwork. He has touch. He checks all the boxes of a high-level center in this league. And I know there's concerns about how much a center can really have an impact in this game. But we see guys like Embiid, and we see guys like Jokic. I'm not gonna cop him to either one of those guys, even though he kind of has. He kind of gives me whiffs of Joel Embiid a bit. But you know, even if you get a guy of, of what we all thought Hosan Whiteside could have been, that's what I think that we are getting in James Wiseman, a guy who can protect the rim, a guy who has a functional jumper, a guy who, you know, he showed flashes of secondary playmaking ability. I think that's something that can be developed in his game on the long run. Um, don't overthink it, man. James Wiseman's a baller, top three pick in this draft. What are we doing? So, hmm,
0: where, where, where do I start? Well, like, one what, what of the first things I said, right, when you asked what you know, is my overall draft philosophy is that I don't buy too much into a- athleticism and, and projecting athleticism alone. Like, you have to show me something else. And when people say, don't overthink James Wiseman, he's done it, you know, throughout the youth circuits, through, you know, th- through whatever level he's been at, it's mostly been the athletic projection that's really, you know, drawn people to him. But, you know, if you, if you look at, like, his... Shooting percentages as a center, you know, and, and as a center, as a dominant center, you know, in in AAU, it should not be at the you know fifties, right? Like his true shooting has always been low compared to some of the centers he's been, you know, compared to before, you know, the previous freshman. Centers. Okay,
1: can and I can I stop I you real quick?
0: Because
1: like oh, go you ahead. you gave me two different things there that kind of work um against each other. One is that he's winning off of athleticism, which would, you know, incline me to think that he's basically going out there and dunking the ball all the time, which why would his field goal percentage be so low?
0: No, 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 it's not that. To me, I'm saying that his his kind of draw is his physical intangibles, you know, is that combination of, you know, running like a gazelle at that size, you know, with that wingspan, with, you know, the, the athleticism, which I get it, but... Like, again, the center, right? Like, the center position, there's just such a big drop off if you can't maintain a certain level of skill to me. And nothing really tells me that he has that level. Um, you'd think that he'd be a really good, you know, log finisher, right? Like, but his hands are, like, not good at all. Like, he has Festus Azili hands to me. Oh, no. Which, you know, as a Warriors fan, Festus, play, that's egregious. Not-
1: that's an egregious comparison. Festus Azili hands? His hands
0: are not good. Like, For whatever reason, he's a bad, like, he can't catch lobs for whatever reason. Like, he's just not great at it. So it limits his ideal catch radius, which should be a lot, you know, a lot bigger. And then, I mean, on the defensive side, like, I think I buy the rim protection more than anything that he provides. Like, you know, if a team drafts him, I think you'll get pretty good rim protection. But, you know, I'm not sold on the mobility. Like, I'm not sold that he can stay with a guard. And then, you know, then you talk about game processing. You know if you put him in a ball screen can he defend you know a a drop scheme you know can he hedge and recover do do things like that and it's like you know he he has to show me that I don't know whether he processes the game like
1: that I I think that's the biggest Achilles heel for the evaluation of James Wiseman is the fact that you did have the whole thing pop off of the NCAA and we only got to see four games of his in college um and for me, I'm, I'm gambling on the the upside that, you know, you saw in those four games and just the, the knowledge of, of what the legend of James Wiseman was in Memphis and that he could do all of these things. So to say that, it, it, like, I I, def- I think he's capable of, if he doesn't have it in his bag now, learning all the things that you're mentioning, whether it is catching a lob. And I, I frankly, I didn't see like that bad of hands in, in lob catching. Right. I didn't see as Azili by any means, but um, these are all things that I think a competent athlete you can learn in an in, in season, right? So I, I, I'm i betting on James Wiseman 100%. I hope he goes into a situation to where he's going to be used and used correctly. Cam, what, what are your thoughts, man? Split the tie here.
2: Um, so you mentioned Joel B and Joel B is someone that um, I'm a fan of, but um, he does remind me of Embiid not really in a positive way though. Uh-uh. Um, I think James Wiseman is very talented. I think his game will transfer to the NBA. I think he has the talent and athleticism to be a top 10 big in this league, but I'm really not a fan of his motor or his feel for the game. Like, um, I believe that his ceiling is, like you said, don't overthink it. I believe that it's really high when he's locked in, but my question is, when is he locked in? Um, whenever I watch him play, it just seems like he's out there, like he's just floating, and he's just not always aggressive and. Right? For me, that's why he's not as high. Um, I don't have him in my top there, on my big board, and I guess one more sneak peek I have on Yekka mm-hmm. ahead of him. But wow. um, I don't that's think true. there's any bust potential or anything. I think Dengravin's going to be a fine player, but I'm just not as big on the upside.
1: See, that's interesting. I almost wonder if that narrative gets blown out of proportion a little bit, that he lacks some motor. Because, um, again, when, I, when I'm when i watching the game, and, and help me out if I'm missing something, but I'm not seeing a guy who's kind of just lackadaisical um, and not – focused on the game I think he kind of you know and I haven't ever met him but I know people who've met him he's not like the most outgoing rah-rah type of dude he's kind of just there um and he goes out almost Evan, Mo- uh, Evan Mobley-esque right kind of go out there does a job might show you a little bit of emotion here and there but he's not going to be the guy yelling he's not going to be the guy showboating and I-, I feel like sometimes people can conflate that for um, a-, a lack of a uh, motor um, which I don't see to be the case with James Wiseman, especially when we talk about getting paid to do this shit, right? Like he's gonna, he's gonna, yeah. he's gonna be a, he's gonna be into it when, when we're talking about a, a means of providing for himself and his family. I have to imagine at least. I
0: think it doesn't help that the other two bigs at the top of this draft, you know, Big O and Obi Toppin, are two super high motor guys. Yeah. You know, and the contrast that with Wiseman, you know, there, there's a big differential there um, when people look at it, but. You know, I feel like more than anything, teams get duped by athleticism in a player and then realize that, you know, said player doesn't quite fill out the fringes like they thought he would, like like an Andrew Wiggins who offered everything on athleticism and just couldn't quite fill it out, you know, elsewhere. And I feel, again, like that's the biggest kind of fly trap that teams get into.
1: I I feel like there's a difference there, though, because when I watched Andrew Wiggins in college, he was winning exclusively almost with his athleticism, right? When I watched the James Wiseman successful plays, even though it was a pretty small sample size, you know, it wasn't just winning exclusively with his athleticism. That might be what people are are kind of salivating over, but that's not the only thing that James Wiseman does successfully on the court. I I very much like his touch around the rim, something that's kind of hard to instill in a big, um, especially one that's as athletic as James Wiseman is. Um, I think he has really good footwork. I, I think he does, you know, things, you know that are kind of more nuanced that the other bigs at his kind of learning curve haven't perfected yet. So um, I I wouldn't say that he's just some athletic Marvel. I I wouldn't put him in the camp of an Andrew Wiggins or or perhaps a uh, Obi Toppin. Right. I I think there's a little bit more to it than that. I
0: just think that, you know, with the guy like James Wiseman, you can draft him and then hope that he hits. And if he hits, I think he can become Chris Bosh, maybe like modern Chris Bosh, but he better hit because if he doesn't, then he just becomes, you know, one of the the bargain bin centers, one of the rim running, you know, rim protecting finish lob centers that, you know, there are a ton of in this NBA. And, and that's, again, kind of the thing about being a center in, in you know the NBA nowadays.
1: Interesting. All right. Throw me another name. Somebody, anybody.
2: I'll go. Um, staying in, I guess, the company of bigs, I have Xavier Tillman from Michigan State. Mm. Who's also one of my favorite bigs in the class? Um, he's really loud. His feet as a live threat and in transition. Um, he's not really explosive at explosive athlete. He's 6'9, um, 245 with a 7'1 wingspan, but he's a good finisher. I think he's the best screener in his draft. Um,
1: underrated skill. Sure his guard. That's an underrated skill.
2: It, it is. Um, who do you play with? Cassius Winston. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that right there. Um, and also, I think he's probably the best playmaker in his draft. We look again in the playoffs and we see the value that big, such as Bam and Nicole Jokic have been able to, you know, make reads on the defense and make kickout passes. And David Tillman has, I think he's the best playmaker in his draft. Um, I know he's getting a lot of hype from draft Twitter for his short roll passing and stuff like that. Um, and defensively, he's also a high IQ guy on both things, but he's not really a run protector due to his lack of explosiveness, um, but he can still contest shots at the run. His verticality is great. Um, I wanna say I see a little Al Horford in him, but mm. I don't think his ceiling is that high. But that's the type of player that he reminds me of.
1: Interesting. Eddie, what do you think?
0: I kinda like the Al Horford comp. Obviously he needs to have somewhat of a jump shot. But yeah, like athletically a big question. Athletically it's pretty similar. Um Tillman's the fourth guy or fourth big on my big board. So behind um um big O, James Wiseman, and OV. So I'm, I'm really high on him as well. Again, like if you're a player that's shown me that, you know, you process the game at a high level, especially at center, like that's a guy that, you know, I'm super high on. And I hope, you know, the Warriors, whatever they do, like, you know, like hopefully they can work some draft machinations and, and figure out how to draft him. Because, you know, to me, he's one of these modern bigs that slightly undersized, but does all the things you want a modern big to do. The ball won't stick in his hands, you know, if anything, it'll be a positive because he knows where to pass it or knows what to do with the ball. Um, like the main thing he, he hinges his game on is obviously the smarts, but also just enough skills, you know, to pass by like him. You alluded to, like, I think he's a really high level, like creator and passer. And then on the defensive side, the help the help side defense really stands out. Like um, not the most prolific rim protector in the world, but he'll always be in the right place at the right time. Um, such a valuable skills for big to have.
2: I wouldn't really say that he's switchable, but he's shown an ability in certain situations to hold his own on the perimeter. And I know Eddie alluded earlier, um, really the only question for him offensively um, is his lack of jump shot, but I believe in the mechanics. I know he's a hard worker, um, so I think that he'll be able to be a decent shooter in the league.
1: It's interesting, Eddie, that you say... um, you kind of want the Warriors to pull some strings and get him because he's kind of pretty similar in my mind. You had the comp to Al Horford. To me, he projects to be pretty much Kevon Looney. Um, That that seems like the most likely outcome for Xavier Tillman, somebody who's going to come in, nothing that's going to scream spectacular, but he's going to do all the little things very well, boxing out, setting screens, um, rotating on defense. Um, You know, he can survive on the perimeter if he has to. Um, all the little nuanced things that, you know, the reasons why Warriors fans and pretty much Warriors fans alone um, know that that Kevon Looney is a valuable asset to your team. Um, he definitely projects to me as a guy that, you know, his team's fans are going to be astutely aware of how valuable he is. And that can kind of fly under the radar throughout the rest of the NBA just because he does all the silent, quiet things um, that that really impact winning on, on an NBA court. Almost like the the Reagan Griffin, how I play in Lion Center or how y'all force me to play in line center because... All right. I'm,
0: <laughs> oh I mean, look, I, I get the Kevon Looney comparison, though. Um, The Warriors should have, you know, like sometimes KD did this with Looney where he, he tried to hit him in the short roll. Like, there was no reason to hit Looney in the short roll. But with Tillman, you know, yeah. like he can do stuff out there. You know, he, he, he'll find the weak side, you know, open man. You know, he, he'll figure out how to find opportunities out of the short roll, which is such a valuable thing in a center where, when so many centers now are limited to catching lobs or, you know, one, one dribble, zero dribble finishes, you know, things like that.
1: You got another Especially one, Eddie?
0: Especially if he winds up and goes to the state, that would be really valuable. Mm. That would be great. All right, I'll throw you guys a name. Um, how about Tyrese Halliburton, a guy that I've been mentioning a lot throughout this, you know, last year's college season, this whole pre-draft process. And um, Halliburton's a guy to me who's not perfect in that if you're a team without structure, your team without a plan, without pieces. Um, I don't know what Halliburton's doing for you because he's not a one. I think, but if you do have, um, you know, pieces in place, Halliburton's a guy who will fill so many gaps for you. Um, I love, I love his feel for the game. Like I think he might be um, the highest IQ guy in this draft. Um, you know, good shooter. Um, he's a good catch and shoot guy. Um, defensively, like okay on ball, but off the ball is really where he makes a killing. Um, and then, you know, he reads the floor extremely well. If only he had a better handle, you know, a, a better on ball pick and roll game, it would really play up. But even then, like you can use him as a cutter, use him as an off ball facilitator. he will find the right guys. Um, like he can do so many things and, you know, I would love him on the Warriors, obviously, but the Hawks and the Suns are also great teams for him, you know, teams that already have a lot of pieces in place and he will fill out, you know, a lot for them. Hmm.
2: Um, I agree. I'm a big fan of Kyrie Um He reminds me of Lonzo Ball. Um, I know that's kind of crazy with Lonzo Ball being number two pick, but if the expectations for Lonzo were realistic coming in as a Laker, um, this is the expectation that he would have. As Eddie said, he's not really someone that you know you would expect to you know, come in and be your number one ball handler, your number one shot creator. But if he's able to... you know, Me and Eddie talk a lot outside of our podcast. We talk about the Warriors. If he's able to go there and play with stuff. They would play play off the ball. He can make great reads. He's a good shooter. Um, he's a great off-ball defender. I know it's really any guy, so he knows more about him. But I'm a big fan of Halliburton. I'm, I think he's going to be a good player.
1: It's interesting, man. Iowa State, uh, I'm forgetting the name of their head coach I'm looking at now, Steve Prom. Um, they consistently kind of have these, like, funky guys who end up making a, a decent impact. The first guy that comes to mind is Taylor Horton Tucker is another guy out of Iowa State. But they kind of have um, – Obviously, Hila Burton with the weird looking jumper. They kind of have like a, a knack for finding uh, guys who kind of slip through the cracks in a rec- from a recruiting standpoint. They're never pulling like these four or five stars. They're making a consistently good basketball team out of three star products who eventually kind of make the leap to the NBA. Monte Morris, who we comp to uh, Trey Young earlier, is another guy who went to Iowa State. Um, Steve Prom is, I think he came from Murray State. I remember I did like a really weird night where I spent like half an hour researching just like the, the, the trajectory of C problem, Iowa state basketball. Cause it's like, how are they consistently in the top 25 with not pulling that so this good of prospects, but they're, you know, really doing a great job of developing players down there and kind of, you know, putting meaningless flaws to the side of whether somebody's jumper is funky or whether their body's shaped weirdly. And they're looking at the basketball skills and, and they're making sure that they're doing the things that are translating to success on the court. So I think Halliburton definitely falls under that envelope. Um, I agree with you, Eddie. It kind of needs to be a situational thing where he falls into the right situation or else it could go south quickly. Um, But he's definitely a guy that's going to be able to come in and contribute from day one, just from a basketball IQ standpoint. He he understands how the game functions at a high level. Yeah, and I've been,
0: you know, just trying to visualize Halliburton in the Steve Kerr motion offense throughout this whole process. And it's just like so seamless to me Um, and I mean, there's been so many reports that the Warriors' front office, their intel loves Tyrese Halliburton. And, and obviously, you can see the Warriors why. love everybody. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're playing so, so well. a, a, lot, a lot of smoke creams, but Halliburton's a name from day one. And, and honestly, I, I kind of believe that they would like him. It's just a matter of they probably wouldn't pick him at two. You know, that's aiming pretty high, like what they trade down and get him. But. Again, it's just like you can just imagine him working perfectly in that Warriors motion offense. There's really not a team set up better, I think, for his skill set. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, people talk about the lack of a creation game. And then some of his um, like body measurements are kind of weird. Like he has really high hips for a guard, which you never hear. Like you hear high hips for a big, but, you know, for a guard, he has really high hips, you know, a, a thinner frame. Um, some of his on-ball navigating screen stuff could use some work but I mean in a draft with not a lot of perfect prospects um, a lot of these solid teams you know gotta got be looking at Tyrese Halliburton plus a lot of his interviews have turned out apparently really good and, and teams seem to really love you know his, his um, IQ and things like that
1: yeah he definitely seems like a smart dude Um, I remember reading an article about him and it it was like they almost had to force him this past season to step into the limelight a little bit more than he was seemed willing to like he almost was inclined to get his teammates involved and be a pass first guy and the coach kind of had to poke at him a little bit like yo if we're going to be a good team we're going to need you to step up and be our one and shoot the ball a little bit more and not pass up on these open jumpers because he was passing up on a lot of them at the beginning of the year and at the end of last year but uh, they saw something in him and uh, eventually he saw it in himself and Look where he is now, NBA top 10 draft prospect. But I want to throw another guard at y'all, man. Cassius Winston. I'm a very, very big Cassius Winston fan. Um, I got put onto him admittedly by Rashad Phillips. He did like a little thing with him. Um, The dude can shoot the lights out of the ball. The dude can shoot the absolute lights out of the ball. I think he shot 43% on 600 plus attempts. I can't even say I think. I'm looking at it right here. Um, but he, he's a guy who functions really well in the pick and roll. He shoots the ball very well. He's a good ball handler. He's not a, a really good athlete, right? He's only 6'1", 185. That's essentially my size, which tells you how much of a wasted basketball potential I am. If Cassius Winston could do it, I could have done it. But no, I'm playing. Um, but he's a really good pack, pick and roll guy. He's a good passer. He's really good at those outlet passes. He was feeding the ball down court, almost like Trey Jones I was referring to earlier. He does a lot of those same things in terms of the long court outlet passes. I, I think he comes in and he's ready to contribute daily one um i just think i, I like he, he understands the game he understands the game he's not the flashiest player he doesn't do a whole lot of extravagant things but he understands the game at a high level he's going to come in and be able to space the floor and handle the rock um at minimum i see him being like patty mills which is like a really good long time backup guard at maximum if the dude plays his cards right you know all the chips fall in the right spot Perhaps pushing Mike Conley, I don't. Know that this might be a little bit of a stretch, but he has all the tools to do that. Um, but I really, honestly, see him falling somewhere in the middle, perhaps like a George Hill. But this is going to be a guy that I think is a starter in the NBA for a while.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess we're on fire when it comes today. Um, I'm a big fan of Winston as well. I always have been. Um, he reminds me of Jalen Brunson. I'm a mm. point guard who you know is not really athletic, but can do everything on the floor well. Is a leader vocally. And throughout his with his play, um, so yeah, I'm I'm just like you. I believe that everything that he does to translate. I don't know if he's Mike Conley.
1: I mean, that's uh, kind of a stretch. I'm not, admittedly that's like that's him literally hitting his maximum capacity. Everything goes right for him. Um, but that that would be all star caliber. I, I I you know as, as good as I think Cassius is, I, I yeah. you know it, that's like a one percent outcome that he reaches that level of play.
2: And I mean, like the talent is there. It's just like. There's just size, and then I know Eddie's said he's not really big on it, but in order to be that level of a point guard athlete in the NBA, you have to you know, have some high athletic ability, and mm-hmm. Cassius, he doesn't really have that. But um, I think he's going to be a solid player. Um, Jalen Brunson, maybe even like a Derek Fisher type of guy, can start if need be, maybe better as a backup point guard, but a really smart, high IQ player.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys both in your evaluations. I don't know if I'm nearly as high with the same evaluations, just because I feel like I do love his smarts. I do love how he, you know, controls the game as, as a guard. But, you know, again, the undersized, not, you know, great athleticism and then not like a, a crazy good handle to make up for those deficiencies. And you get yourself, you know, a Jalen Brunson, which is my comp as well. But, you know, you think of Jalen Brunson, and to me, that's a career, really good backup point guard. Um, And that's what Cassius Winston can be. And, you know, if you're a team in the low first rounds, um, high second, and and you need, you know, a career like backup point guard, you need a solid backup point guard, like you can go ahead and get him. But um, that kind of is what his role to me is in the NBA. It's pretty defined already as a four-year college player. We kind of know what he's going to be.
2: Yeah, it's not much. I'm sorry for sure, but you're definitely getting a good player. All
1: right, we got time for one or two more. So, anybody that you're particularly passionate about that you want to Cam looks like you got somebody.
2: Yeah, because um, I need my Lakers to hear this because we need another playmaker. So, Mm. um, this is really my guy. Um, like Eddie said about Kira earlier, that I don't, I don't know what the NBA doesn't see. Um, Grant Riller from Charleston, Mm. four year guard. Um, he's a three level scorer. Um. The way I really describe him, he's just a bucket. Three-level scoring can create space on most of his shots, driving to the basket. Um, he's shown the ability to make pull-up jumpers from three in the mid-range, which is really big um, for ball handlers in the league. And he was on the ball a lot his senior year, so he didn't really have a chance to show his off-ball ability, which I think is more of what he'll be in the NBA um, as an off-ball player. But his usage rate really went up from his freshman year all the way to his senior year. It was 24 26-30, 33, so he became an on-ball player there, but as far as his ceiling in the league, um, I see, like, a really good microwave score, and maybe a six-man, an overachieving six-man mm. that could start on some teams, but it's probably better coming off the bench. so maybe a Dennis scroll score to Lou Will. Their games aren't really similar, but that's the role that I see him playing. Defensively. And there's also a lot of talk, I know, between him and Malachi Flynn, because their games are kind of similar. Um, the knock on Grant Wheeler is his defense, but with him being, I believe he's like 6'3", mm-hmm. and he's real solid. I don't know his actual weight measurement, but I think he can be an average player defensively, not to the point where, you know, it affects him getting played off the court. So, really, three-level score, point guard, four-year guard, Aaron Charleston. Um definitely someone I think that's going to be in the league for a long time.
1: The thing that immediately stands out to you um, and to me as well is the ability to create separation, right? Word on the street is that he's – Probably the best separating guard in, in this draft to where the, there's even though, you know, people always have their questions about where somebody played at. Oh, he only played at Charleston, the competition. That stuff is going to translate on anybody. It's creating separation is simply, you know, forcing momentum one way and then shifting it a different way. That's going to work on anybody, no matter how big, strong or athletic you are. And Grant Rulers definitely that's going to translate to the next level for him it's uh, I, I wouldn't cop him to fred van Vliet because fred van Vliet's a much better defender but in terms yeah. of creating separation i would say they're very similar players and, and the ability to get a shot off on just about anybody um so yeah i i, I like grant Riddle, grant riller excuse me
0: yeah i think that makes 3 out of 3 among us for guys who really like grant riller like i've seen him in the you know 50s on some boards i've seen him you know in in the 15 to 20s and you know i'm more of a 15 to 20s guy like The main thing I really love about him is just how much pressure he puts on defenses. And, you know, it's just constantly attacking. And that's a mentality that I don't think a lot of guards in this year's draft has, but it's something that really stands out with Riller. And then the finishing ability, Um, in my eyes, you know, probably the best finisher in this year's draft class, you know, for a guard. Um, his efficiencies is insanely high around the rim. And then you look at the film and it backs it up with the, you know, creative finishes and what he does with his body. And I think, you know, at the next level in the NBA, that finishing ability can really translate into drawing fouls, which is, you know, huge in terms of scoring. Um, especially if, if he's going to be kind of a six man type player, um, obviously like some questions about the shot, like whether the shot is, um, like going to be knocked down at a high level questions with the defense, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys on Grant Riller. Just the the kind of attacking, the the, speed,
1: the quickness that he shows on the court is really impressive. Eddie, you got one more for me? All right, are we doing one more? Maybe we? we might have two more. I, I might be able to throw one more at y'all.
0: Let, I, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to just package the three wings, top wings in this year's draft, into one. Mm. And I'm talking about Isaac Okoro, Patrick Williams, Devin Vassel, Vassell. Yeah. Um, mm. Like, maybe, okay, people throw Sadiq Bey, but I'm going to just combine those three because those are my top three wings. But in general, I'm not, like, really high on them at all. And I don't know why people around, you know, draft evaluators, you know, draft writers seem so intent on pegging them to, like, high lottery teams. Because to me, like, that's such a safe, such a vanilla, boring pick to me. Like, if you're a team picking Devin Vassell, like, you're getting three and D, you're getting, you know, a a Danny Green-type But it's like, what does a Danny Green type player really do for you on an NBA team? Like, he's a good fourth or fifth player. But, you know, if you're picking from one to 14 in the lottery, like you got to be aiming higher. Right. So, like, again, I get what those wings do for you. And I get everyone is infatuated with two way wings nowadays. But I don't know. They're just such boring players to me that don't offer a ton of upside. And again, I don't know why people are falling in love with them like that.
1: See, from it, it's kind of hard to to put them all in the same conversation because they're all pretty dissimilar to me. Devin Vassell is obviously like the king of, of three pointers, and I know they had the whole thing with the, the funky jumper earlier this off season. Hopefully, that's not what it actually looks like. But you know, before that, you know, the question around Vassell and his like there, there was no questions around Vassell and his jumper. It was going to be effective. Um, you were going to get solid defense, and you were going to get a guy that potentially had some decent secondary playmaking skills to him. Um. But, you know, Vassell, yeah, I like, I'm not, he's not a guy that excites me a ton. Neither is Patrick Williams. I think they're both going to be solid. But Okoro, he's a guy that I, I can see why people get a little excited. And the thing for me is his floor is pretty high just because he's going to come in and be a very high level defender off the bat. If he, if he doesn't make another shot for the rest of his life, he's at least Lou Dort, Right. But you know, he's a guy who was also shown the ability to create off the dribble. And he has that level of athleticism and he has, you know, a pretty decent jumper that could use some work, but given time, he's shown the flashes that, that tell me that it's there. Um, so Coral, I can see why a team might bet on the upside there, knowing that the floor is always going to be there in terms of the defense. Um, that the offensive capability, you know, given time and player development could come uh, in a few years. So I I would separate a core from the other two is basically my point.
2: Um, I'm with Eddie. I kind of have them all in the same tier for different reasons. Um, I'm not really high on any of them per se, but I do understand the intrigue for um, each three of the players. But like Eddie said, it's just vanilla-like. I know what I'm getting, and I guess it's just a product of the draft class being weak this year, if you want to call it that, um, that, you know, the most important position in the NBA is being propped up, the best wings are, you know, being taken in the 6-10 to 10 range. But I think all three are going to be fine players in the league. Um, I think Akaro, um I, I like the Lou Dort
1: comp a little bit, but... I wasn't comparing him to Lute. That's, like, his floor. <laughs> that was not my comp for Luke, for okay. Isaac Okoro at okay. all. Like, that's just, like, if he never makes a shot for the rest of his life, he just, for whatever reason, his jumper just disappears. He's at least Lute Dort, because he's going to be able to, to defend at a do high level.
2: Think, do you
1: think nah, it's, it's at is that the
2: level of Lute Dort? Like, do you think it's, it's oh, the same? You, I, I don't. I don't. It's just me, though. Mm. I'm concerned about Okoro's size. He's, he seems smaller. Maybe it's just on camera, but he seems a little bit undersized to me. That's why I don't really understand. Like, you know, more of the Iggy cops kind of that are out there. I don't really see it, but I do think he's gonna be a high level defender for what he's worth.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Reagan thinks Ludor is a hundred times better than whatever Isaac Okoro can be. Hey, man. But
1: <laughs> y'all know that's I'm hundred
0: percent I'm hundred percent with you on the size though, because I think he's listed at six four, right? I thought
1: he was listed at six six.
2: But is he really six six?
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, it, I, 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 swear, I, th- I thought I saw six four out there, and it looks like six four to me. And like, a lot of teams or a lot of people haven't pegged as like a three slash four in the NBA. But are you really gonna have a guy who you know is question mark six six and really looks smaller, you know, playing one of the forward positions? And then you talk about like guarding up. It's like in college, he, he guarded people about his own size. Like, what happens if you put him up against, you know, six eight six nine six ten dudes? Like, again, for his positionality, um, like, I don't know whether people just have him, like, plugged in the wrong spot, whether he's actually a guard more than he is, like, a wing. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know really how to feel about Okoro. I'm not really buying the hype on his defense. Like, again, the, the, the physical intangibles, like, don't really quite match up, like, what I see from the film. And then, obviously, offensively, people know the lack of a shot. I do kind of like his decision-making, um, his off-the-dribble game um, a little bit. But it it's, I don't know, it doesn't excite me that much. Hmm.
1: All right, I'll throw out one more name. This is kind of a out-of-left-field one. Because this is a guy that, when, when the draft process first started, he was somewhat high up on his list, possibly even a lottery pick. And now it's looking like he might not even get drafted. What do we think about Jay Scrub? No one thinks um, anything about Jay Scrub, evidently. No, okay. um, oh, it's weird. I'll give you all a little background. So he started out academically ineligible for the NCAA. I don't know what his star rating was coming out of high school. I don't put a ton of stock into star ratings, but I, I know he wasn't initially eligible to go play NCAA basketball because of his grades. So he goes to John A. Logan. He performs very well in year one. He accepts an offer to go to Louisville. He had offers to Louisville, Memphis, Texas Tech, pretty high-level basketball programs um, after his second season. So he'd play one more season at John A. Logan, and then he'd go do that. But after his second season at John A. Logan, um, he decides to make the jump to the NBA draft. He doesn't want to go play at Louisville anymore. He's going to go straight and try to make it in the league. Um, That's something that's might end up coming back to bite him a little bit because there's chances that he he might not even get drafted hopefully um for his sake a team ends up betting on his upside but right now ESPN had him ranked at somewhere around like 70 ish um which is outside of the second round so um I don't know how much research y'all did this is kind of out of left field I was kind of looking at guys at the bottom end of the draft that uh intrigued me a little bit I also had Uh, Khalil Whitney out of Kentucky and Saban Lee out of Vanderbilt, but Jay Scrub's a really interesting guy to me, because he almost seems like somebody that, if he just had some more time to develop his game, he could be a dude.
2: Yeah, I've seen a little bit of him.
1: Go go ahead, Kim.
2: I've seen a little bit of him, but I I don't know much. It seems like he has, like, everything in his bag offensively, three-level scoring, the ball handling's there, the playmaking's there, but I haven't really seen him in a real basketball setting, so... I see the intrigue just off of like, highlights and things, but never seen him in a true 5-on-5 five five basketball set.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there, Cam, where, I, I've, you know, I've heard the name thrown around. I've heard people talk about why, you know, he's a name that we should um, keep our eye on, but I haven't looked a ton into him. Like, I looked at a little bit, and, like, the way I did my board, like, after a certain level, I was just like, I'm not going to look at dudes because they're all kind of guys that are interchangeable to me. So, I didn't, yeah, I didn't really look at Jay Scrub that much, but, you know, like, I've heard people – say why we should pay attention to him, and I get it. Um, but it's funny because I also had a name that, you know, was a little bit out of left field, wondering if you guys even paid attention to him at all. Uh, I don't ahead, know if you time, but, you know, I can I can throw it out.
1: We got time. Go ahead.
0: Okay, so my guy that I've kind of liked since the college season last year started, and um, he played for a really good program last year Ohio State. It's Caleb Wesson. I don't know whether... You guys have done,
1: you know, I got
0: but it's just like I, I watched a couple Ohio State games early in the year. And I just like watched his game. And, you know, I was, I was looking at the draft board. I was like, OK, so where do people where do people have this guy? And I mean, they had him as like a second round prospect at best, maybe. But that's a guy whose game that I really, I think, just stood out to me. Um, he's a center like he's a legit center. Um, the knock against him is that he's really heavy and he's lost a lot of weight, you know, in four years, um, in, into like semi playable shape, but he looked really good this year. And, um, again, like a legit center and, and a legit shooter as well. Like that's a guy who, you know, we talk, we think about a guy like Naz Reed that, uh, Minnesota drafted last year as like a center who can shoot from deep. Like that's Caleb Wesson, that that's his main skill. But then, you know, I look at some of the interior stuff, like the touch around the rim, the finishing, You know, like some of the passing, especially like passing out of the post and then a general like feel for the game, finishing with both hands, like they all look really good. Um, And then, of course, the big knock against him is whether he can just keep pace in the NBA with his size. Um, Obviously, he has mobility issues because of his weight and whatnot. But if I'm a team, you know, in the second round and, you know, the second round is basically such a crapshoot, you might as well aim for a guy who can give you the highest upside. And Caleb Weston's a guy to me kind of like um, Jonte Porter last year. I know he was hurt, um, but, I mean, he's a guy to me that if he pans out, that that's a really valuable center, and uh, in the second round, a team should really take that risk.
1: You know, I, I did look at him, actually, ever so briefly um, when I was looking around for those, those kind of obscure late-round undrafted guys, and I'm not going to lie, man, I saw 270, I was like, oop. I don't know about that one. Like, it like that's that's a lot of weight to um to try to function on an NBA court with. But you do have kind of outliers like Omari Spellman, who kind of had flashes of decent moments. Um, I have to check him out a little bit more. I, I didn't know he had all that skill to him. I'll, I'll make sure I get a look at him. What do we um, think? Yeah, we I've
2: also seen him briefly. Um, I know that he's able to you know shoot the ball from three, so that's always valuable if that can translate to the NBA. But I'm kind of like Reagan. Um, I started two seventy. Especially like you know, with him not being you know a little bit smaller, I think he is seven one, correct?
1: Six nine, I'm looking at.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's he's six ten or something like that. Six nine. Okay, okay, I thought he was a little bit taller than that. Okay, well, maybe that helps. But the two seventy for me, um, just being able you know move up and down the court as fast as the game is as quick as the game is. I was like, I don't know about that, but I definitely have to check him out more. Um, didn't know he had that much skill. Knew that he could space the floor a little bit, but definitely have to check him out before next week's draft.
1: Eddie, yeah. man, finding the gems, finding the gems. That's what we hope to do here, isn't it?
2: I mean, that that's a guy I've had my eye
0: on since, like, day one. And, like, I feel like a lot of people see the weight and they're like, never mind. You know, and, like, that's a little unfair, I feel like, because you really watch how he played at Ohio State. In Ohio State, you know, like, they didn't play, like, a super um, – what do you call it? Like the super limited game, you know, in terms of a college system, you know, not, not like a Bayon Syracuse system, nothing like that. It's like they played kind of like an NBA game and, you know, Ohio state was really good. And and Wesson was maybe like the the biggest or second biggest reason for it. Um, I think, again, there's a lot to uncover. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, one of these NBA teams sees it and picks them, you know, somewhere in the second round.
1: Well, don't tell all this to, you know, the other, uh, P- person associated with Hoop and Holler, uh, Julio, because he's not having two seven. <laughs> Julio's not having yeah. anything.
2: <laughs> That's what I was gonna say, Regan. I'm, it was a sign of relief when you know you were out on Keller Preston too, because I was like, I don't want to give rep. I was already out, <laughs> out on James Wiseman as being the next Julio. I didn't. Nah, <laughs> I didn't want man. that rep For being anti big.
1: Hopefully, Julio doesn't listen to this episode, man. Hopefully, he doesn't uh, because he he's gonna have he's gonna have a mini moment of a a, a slight aneurysm, perhaps, but. I think that'll do it for this episode. Did anyone want to bring any other names up before we get up out of here?
2: Um I'll bring up one okay. that's really interesting to me. Um being a duke guy, I was excited when he came in. Then I saw him play a little bit. I Cash think is I know what where you know you're going. I'm talking about. Yeah. And I just didn't know, but I'm sorry, Eddie, but the athletic ability just I think I fell for it just a little
0: bit. Are you you're talking about Cassius Stanley or? Yeah. Oh, Stanley, okay.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I would draft him, but being one of my two way guys, especially if I'm a contender, I mean, why not? I mean, he can defend, he's a wing. I believe he's like.
1: I mean, the shooting started coming up pretty well. Um, It came around a little bit for him. It's definitely a guy who's very raw from a basketball point of view. He's a great athlete, and and he wants to defend. Right? You put those two things together—the will to defend and great athleticism—you're gonna get at least a decent defender that you can build on as you give him more game repetitions. A decent shooter, um, but his ceiling to me is is three and D, um, and and kind of a a iffy three at best, right? Like I don't see him ever getting around forty percent. But you know, he's definitely excited for me. It just, man. It's crazy. I mean, you never know. I mean, you have your Terrence Fergusons and then you have your Derrick Jones Junior. They could go either way, right? Like Derek Jones is one of the better defenders um in the NBA, or at least for that Heat team right now, and then Terrence Ferguson is uh Terrence Ferguson. So or like just working out with Steph
0: for, for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> but um um I mean, yeah, I think he's the type of guy where a team would maybe like promise him, you know, spot like as a two way guy, kind of like Lou Dort, where Lou Dort could have or should have really been drafted in the second round. He didn't get drafted because the Thunder had a promise. Um, he basically told other teams, don't draft me. Um, and that's that's the kind of guy I can see Cassius Stanley being, you know, like he gets a promise from a team who wants to develop him. And then, you know, he and the team develops relationship so he doesn't get drafted, but not because he's not good enough. You know, something along those lines.
1: Interesting. Interesting stuff, man. Well, on that note, I think that'll do it for this episode of this on the clock hoop and holler crossover. Examining the 2020 NBA draft. It's coming up quick, y'all. It's coming up real quick.
0: And we'll probably have like one more episode or a couple more episodes. We'll we'll like go over
1: our entire big boards, you know, something along those lines. No doubt. Maybe we'll even throw a, spot by spot. Maybe even throw a little mock draft together. Who knows? But we'll coming, we'll be coming with you to you with that content very shortly. Thank you so much to Eddie. Thank you so much to Cameron. Always a pleasure to have you on to talk some hoop, man. Love to have it. Uh, love to have you here, man. So, with that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Go check out S- at SQR1 Hoops on Instagram and Twitter. We'll see you next time.
0: This has been the Hoop and Holler Podcast.